from the racing capital of the world, Indianapolis, Indiana. Welcome to season three, episode number 20 of the greatest spectacle in podcasting, the seventh year Overrev show presented to you by our great friends over at crimeboss.com, makers of those phenomenal skin safe, heavy duty hand wipes that'll take care of paint, grease, adhesives, you name it, it'll remove it. I swear by these things, so I highly urge you all to go right out and buy your pack of them today. Now, holy shit, kids, we have a dinger of a show for you this week. I know you come to expect that every week with this show, but this is a dinger of dingers. Not only do we start out with John and I reviewing the Formula One Grand Prix from Monza this past weekend, but we also review the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey, the IndyCar season finale that saw a new two-time champion be crowned in one willpower. But the beauty of it is, is that due to some good fortune on my end, I was able to be the master of ceremonies for a group from McLaren in their suite throughout the weekend and had the opportunity in front of their invited guests to interview Arrow McLaren SP's IndyCar driver Felix Rosenquist, as well as CEO of McLaren Racing, Mr. Zach Brown. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait anymore. So let's dive right in, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right, 7th Gear Overhead fans, we are back again with our latest weekly version of the latest and greatest of the greatest spectacle in podcasting, the 7th Gear Overhead show. As always, I am your host, Kevin Krause, alongside my man, John McGrath. John, how are you doing this week, buddy? Good, man. How are you doing? I am phenomenal. Came off of a great weekend at Laguna Seca for the IndyCar finale, which we will talk about soon. But there was a lot of racing this weekend on the open wheel scale between the finale there at the IndyCar season uh, wrap up in uh, Laguna Seca, where Will Power claimed his second title. We had a new rookie of the year. We had a new uh, Indy Lights champion, but we also had the Formula One event at the Tifosi's home hallowed ground, Manza. Yes. And yes, it was yet a- again, they did not win. <laughs> well, it wasn't at least for Ferrari. At least it wasn't some disastrous shit show like we've seen the last few races where the, it wasn't something, you know, something that happens in the pit, something that's ridiculous or a mechanical issue. This was just legitimate racing. And of course, the Red Bulls, you know, those, at least Max's car is just so ridiculously fast, you know, and a Monza is like 80% straight. So, uh, that was sort of the result I was expecting. I think everybody was just more or less watching Ferrari, not just because it was Italy, but because it was more of the whole, well, how are they going to fuck up this week? And fortunately, and I'm glad to see it because I don't want to see Ferrari fail. I mean, they're Ferrari, for God's sakes, you don't want to see those guys fail unless you are, you know, maybe a Mercedes fan or a Red Bull fan. But, <laughs> but for somebody like myself who doesn't really have a home as far as like which team I root for, I just love the sport in general. It was nice to see. I agree. I agree. And, you know, with I was on location out at Laguna Seca this weekend, which we'll get to here in a little bit. So I wasn't totally dialed into Monza, but I will say that I was, in fact, I talked with somebody at Laguna this weekend and I even said to them, I said, because we were talking about it and I said, tell me Ferrari didn't step on their dick yet again. And they're like, no, no, actually. They, you know, they played their strategy and they actually didn't, they didn't fuck it up. And I'm like, okay, it it worked out fairly well for them. So, you know, I mean, plus, you know, Max won. I think probably the two points I want to hit on, because you just kind of want to go over this quickly, is uh, one, Nick DeFries, who was driving in Albon's steed because unfortunately Albon had appendicitis. Which Dude, did you hear the, the second part of that whole appendicitis thing? He had like respiratory failure. Like he was oh my in God, ICU. No, I didn't hear that. Oh my He Jesus. was in ICU and it was like, holy shit. Yeah. 
some sort of wow. reaction to the anesthesia or something that caused respiratory wow. failure. So wow. he may not be back for a little bit yet. Yeah, he also was in good spirits when he got on because I don't know if you saw it. He, I think he either on, Twi- on Twitter or Instagram, he says two things that are cool about this. I'm now lighter and I have cool scars. 100%. That so is true. That was, it was pretty and fun. chicks dig scars, right? That's right. Uh, so then the other point with Monza was the, I'm sorry, the terrible bullshit ending. I am under the opinion that no race, no motor race in the world should ever end under a yellow flag ever. And this caused a lot of controversy, of course, because of what happened last season with uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton with the whole disaster that was. I'm not going to get into which side is right or wrong, but you know, there was a lot of apparently discussion during the end of that race is, you know, some principals were calling for the race to be stopped because, you know, they didn't want to end on a yellow and some others were like, Nope, this is fine. <laughs> and like, so, you can only, you can only guess as to who those team principals and teams were that were oh, totally okay I'm with sure that. Christian Horner was just like, Hey, it's really nice here in Italy today. What a nice day. Right. Isn't it's it? a beautiful day. It's just a nice day for a slow, leisurely drive under a yellow flag. So, but I mean, and you know, that's a really good point, John, because obviously Formula One hasn't learned their lesson from that whole finale at what was uh, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, whatever. I who who the fuck cares? But we all know how that ended. You know, they decided the championship last year, but also look back at Spa where they ran how many laps under yellow before they just finished it that way. It's like, yeah. And this yeah. is this is one of the the banes of the Ferrari, uh, not Ferrari Formula One fans versus IndyCar fans because IndyCar will will tell you that the racing is better top to bottom. They will also tell you that they do their very best to try to finish in green flag conditions, even if they have to red flag the race with a handful of laps or less to go. Whereas sure. Formula One is like. Eh. I don't know. Let's, you know, what do you think? What do you think? Well, I think it's a beautiful day here in Monza. Yeah, it seems like I don't know what it is. And it drives me crazy as too, as being a fan is it seems like the rule book isn't a rule book more. It's more of a suggestion. It's kind of like you mean like the white border on the stop sign is just a suggestion. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, (laughs) it's just why, why do we go through this every time? It's, and especially like you said, Formula One has not learned its lesson. And you would have think, or sort of thought, excuse me, after last year with Spa, with the champion, with the championship, which on the line, you think that they would back up and go, okay, we really have to draw the line. Here's what we're going to do from this point on. If nobody likes it, too fucking bad. I don't even care what the rule is. Just follow it. Do something. And does That's- that not speak back to the whole point about the consistency of the rules application within Formula One? That is part of the reason why Michael Massey got shit canned after last season was right. because there was no consistency in the application of the rules. And yet Never. here we are with Mohammed bin Salem or whoever the new head of the FIA is. Yeah, you're right. Not not being consistent not with it. the rules application. Yeah. And I don't. I don't know if there's some favoritism going. I mean, I'm sure there is at some level. I mean, people are human. There's going to be favoritism on some level, uh, especially within a sport and this sort of level of competition. But to be so overly blatant about not being consistent, I think it's I almost want to say the FIA has gotten too comfortable with their position. They seem to keep going about these things and changing the rule. Every race, it's something new. It seems like that. Uh, well, we'll bend the rules here and there or a situation of one driver will 
get a time penalty for something or get a warning about something. And then another driver does the exact same thing, maybe not the same race, maybe a couple of races down the road. And either it's a harsher punishment or it's nothing at all. It's like, do they hire different people with different interpretations every race to run the rules of the show? I, I don't well, understand. And, and, and to that point, there's maybe an argument to be made because the stewards of the meeting are not the same race stewards of the meeting every event. Like, you know, we interviewed Danny Sullivan earlier this year, and he was one oh, of the yeah, stewards, right. and he was only going to be there for, what, four or five races this year? So it's yeah. not the same guys from race one to race 12, 17, 18, 20, whatever it is. Right. So there's that aspect of it. But, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is you were just saying that, John, too, is like, okay, sometimes you have a scenario like we had at Monza where, okay, you've got a VSC, right? A virtual safety car. And other yeah. times, okay, let's have an actual safety car. Whoa, wait a minute. So what's, <laughs> where do you apply that rule? Where do you decide that it's going to be a virtual safety car versus an actual safety car? Yeah. Again, it just goes back to this bizarre suggestion or flexibility that seems to be in place with all the rules. And, you know, as a Formula One fan, and I'm sure, and I'm not to speak for anybody else, but maybe myself and the other seventh year order of fans, I'm just kind of done with all that. You know, I'm not going to, I mean, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching the sport. That doesn't mean that at all, but it's just so frustrating. I mean, okay, let's, let's put this in an, in, a, in an American sort of perspective, possibly. If you're watching American football, and you have a guy commit a personal foul against the quarterback, maybe late hit, let's just say, for example's sake. And then he gets a massive penalty. He gets, you know, 15, 20-yard penalty, whatever it is. I don't remember now. And then if the other team around turns around and does the same thing, they get a penalty, but it's only a five-yard penalty. That's exactly what is happening within Formula One. It's just so inconsistent. It's it's insane. And I don't, I don't know what the solution is other than getting a group of guys who travel with the sport at all points of the world. And they are always there, always pushing the same consistent rules. It's never just a guy, well, you're going to work for these four races and then we're going to hire somebody else to work these three races. No, no. You have a consistent team of guys who is constantly traveling with, with Formula One everywhere they go. And they are all on board and they're all on the same page with the rules. No exception. Well, and think about, I mean, let's, let's even funnel that down even more in terms of the medical team, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, you had the one doc and unfortunately his name escapes me right now. He's since Sid Watkins, actually Sid Watkins. He, he had been the head of the Formula One medical team for years. He was there on site when Senna had his big accident, the whole deal. That would be like having Sid Watkins for four races. Then you have another doctor for five other races and you have Dr. Oz, doctor, no, I'm just kidding. Dr. Oz, you know, whoever it is. And it's like, okay, I get that you, you have your personal pride, you have your Hippocratic oath and all those things, but it's like, how can you consistently attend to the needs of the series for the betterment of the series as a whole, when you don't have a consistent team working each and every event? Absolutely. Absolutely. Spot so. on. But, every blind dog finds a bone every once in a while, John. But this yeah, might but be we're my not, day. <laughs> there you go. But we're not going to have a Formula One race, I think, for another three weeks. So, so maybe I don't know. Maybe in those three weeks, they can. I'm sure there's going to be talk um, amongst the teams about how that race ended. And so there will be we'll more. And just... further talk about whether or not Matteo Bonato should be fired from Ferrari because that has ripened or it's rife, rife, ripened. 
either one. I think I, they both fit. There's been discussion I, about that since they come back came back from the summer break, and it's like, okay, they didn't they didn't fuck up too badly this weekend. They just kind of kind of got exposed for their lack of straight line speed compared to Red Bull. Yeah, I I have a feeling this is it for him. I think for yeah, I think for the team, I think it's it's over for him because it's almost like Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. He will fire a coach quicker than shit if they're not having a winning season. I mean, that dude goes through coaches like a net through water. So uh, I, I think I think this is going to be it for him, no matter what the outcome is. I think the damage is done. I don't believe that, you know, unless they have some sort of a miracle happen where Leclerc somehow finds, I don't know, he's like down like a hundred and some odd points. And now, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not, I haven't looked at the constructors championship, but I'm pretty sure Mercedes, if they're not beating Ferrari, they're certainly right at the door. I'd have to look at that, but you know, this is, this was supposed to be Ferrari's year and it's clearly not. Yeah. You know, it's like as, as much as I love formula one, while at the same time, we both hate it. it it's like, you know, if you ever grew up in the early days of, of the 80s and 90s and watched that TV show, Dallas, it's like you loved oh, yeah. J.R. Ewing. J.R. Ewing, yeah. I, I feel like I, yeah, yeah. I, I love and hate Formula One at the same time, because right now we've got like, what, six races left in the Formula One season, yet Max Verstappen's got a hundred plus point lead. And it's like, okay, are you going to artificially create something to make this even somewhat interesting or are I we already not. conceding? Are we conceding this to Max? Because honestly, at this point is Max's championship to lose. So, okay, what are we going to see? Are we going to see a resurgence from Mercedes? Lewis Hamilton's back on the horse and he's battling George Russell and Charles Leclerc and science is, you know, taking yet another fucking engine penalty and starting from the back of the field, which ironically, how many of these guys fucking took engine or, or other, you know, penalty oh, penalties. Yeah. The- it was like half the field. We had McLaren starting like three, four this weekend. It's like that Oprah thing. You get a penalty and you get a penalty. Right. You get a penalty. You get a new uh, car and you get a new engine. You get a new engine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I Again, this is, and we've said it before, but the, and you just said it, this is Max's championship to lose. I think he's got it in the bag. I really can't foresee. I actually see Mercedes giving Red Bull a harder time from this point forward. If they continue to develop their cars well and, if George Russell sort of keeps doing what he's doing, uh, I think that he's going to start to give Red Bull a little bit of a hard time. It, it, it's an interesting mix for sure. Uh, I I hate to say this. I, I partially do hope George Russell does keep advancing the way he is because I really like him a lot. I really do. Um, I do too. I do know, too. I, I really do wish the best for him. Not that I don't for Lewis. I, I don't hate Lewis at all, but I, you know, I think I don't want to say his time to shine is over, but I, I feel like, I feel like it is the changing of the guard. Well, I'll just put it that way. That's, that's a more elegant way of saying it. I believe that it is. I, I believe it is George's time. I believe it is time for Lewis. I know Lewis said he's going to continue for a while. I guess he's really all about staying in Formula One till you know, maybe he's Alonzo's age. I don't know. They're pretty close in age, though. But I do believe it is time for him to be the mentor, and I do believe it is time for George to really start to uh, really step up the game. And uh, if the car gets developed properly and if Mercedes, you know, figures out their issues, I think next season we're going to really see George step up and get at least really close to the championship. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I mean, George is ahead of Sir Louise in the championship points right now. And I mean, honestly, without... Yeah, actually, I am going to sound a little bit macabre, but it it's like unless Max Verstappen suffers like Alex Zanardi style injuries, mm-hmm. there's no way he's not going to win this championship. 
Yeah, there's just exactly. no way. Yeah, no, but no, he's got it, it in the bag for sure. Yeah, but to your point about changing the card, let's go back to Williams driver Nick DeVries, who didn't know until <laughs> Friday practice that Alex Albon had appendicitis and was going to have to step in. And the dude goes out and balls out and fucking scores points and outscores yeah. Latifi, which puts the stake in the heart of <laughs> Nicholas Latifi for the end of this year because he's oh. not even under contract. So Latifi is gone. And Latifi's so done. And he knows it right it. here. Some know fans. <laughs> Latifi's done. You got a guy that didn't know that he was going to race until Friday practice and he outscores you. Fuck you, Latifi. Yeah. Take your Canadian Lavaza, you know, espresso money and go pound sand in like LMP or, you know, WEC or some shit like that. His girlfriend is gorgeous, though, or wife. I don't know what she is. Saw her the other day. I was like, wow, that's legitimately a very beautiful woman. I was like, how does one of the biggest dipshits in Formula One get a woman like that? Whatever. She totally loves him for him, not his money at all. Sure. Yes. Exactly. Why do you think Bernie Ecclestone at the age of 90 plus has a kid with a 40-year-old chick? Exactly. It's all about the personality. At any rate. All right. Moving on. Speaking kind of a good transition from from Formula One to IndyCar, let's talk about the IndyCar season finale here at Laguna Seca this last weekend, which I had the good fortune to be part of. That was a pretty freaking solid race. That was a really great race. You and I both called it. We both said Will Power was going to end up with the championship. It was very nice to see. I it was just you know what it was just solid racing. Like there was no major incidents, fortunately, at least nothing I can think of. You know, of course, we all know it, we saw the tire degradation really coming into play. They were fighting those cars when those tires started to go down. Well, you could see they were not able to put down any of the power. Of course, the track's getting repaved next year, but it was just fun to watch. Great racing, good strategy. It really was amazing. Well, and it was interesting too because with with my role this last weekend, I was fortunate enough to be the master of ceremonies for a group from McLaren all weekend long, and I was able to speak directly with one of their drivers, Felix Rosenquist, as well as the CEO of McLaren Racing, Zach Brown. And you'll hear that here as part of this particular podcast. And they had some really great insights, but knowing that those guys, you know, and we even said in the interview, it's like knowing that the guys that were out of the championship were basically had nothing to lose and they were going to send it. But yet you had the guys that were still considered mathematically contenders, guys like Marcus Erickson, Joseph Newgarden, you know, Dixon, not to mention Power. But I mean, Dixon and not Dixon, Newgarden made an uncharacteristic error. He totally fucking screwed the pooch in qualifying when he turned in early at the corkscrew and pounded, pounded that turtle shell curbing and then high sided it as a result. So they took away his fastest lap and the dude had to start last. But rare fuck up from Joseph Newgarden. So Joseph, nut up, dude, learn from that one. Yeah, but he still but, finished. He still finished second. Dude, that was so. <laughs> a brilliant strategy from Tim Sendrick, man. Some brilliant strategy to go from DFL, dead fucking last on the grid at the start to finish P2 in that race. And he was driving yes. his balls off. Yes, he Polo? was. Alex Polo Polo. was. Whoa. He was. Oh, boy. He was a rocket ship on this race, man. Dude, they took the penalty for the engine change after qualifying on Saturday and, and took a six position grid penalty. Clearly but, worth it. <laughs> so I was asking myself, I'm like, okay, dude, you're already, you can't possibly win the championship. Why would you not back up the leaders, get the right. guys like Power and Newgarden? Why not back them up in Dixon? And I was watching the broadcast of the race on my flight back today from, from there. 
And even Townsend Bell was like, yeah, but you know, they, he said that the best way he can help him is to, to win this race. And to me, it wasn't as much about that. It was as much about him saying, hey, Chip, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck mm-hmm. you. You know, you can tell me all you want what the team orders are, but we're still in a legal battle. So fuck off. I'm going to win this race. Whatever you're telling me to do, I'm going to win it anyway. So fuck off is is my biggest take on that. So side note, did you see when they were interviewing him post race, Chip was standing like a car length behind him. Uh huh. And it was just so weird. It was like the uncomfortable dad staring at the son he's angry with. Like, right. It's like you got to gonna... kiss your aunt who's like 9,000 years old at Christmas. <laughs> it was just so weird. And it was just the smile of like, I'm smiling, but I really want to tell this guy to fuck off. Yep. So it was it was a little weird. But, you know, and then they did ask him, you know, what his future plans were. And he gave the diplomatic answer, you know, which was, you know, I'm paraphrasing at this point. And he goes, well, we'll just say, hey, let's see what the future holds or something along those lines. So. I can see why he did that. He doesn't want to, you know, burn every bridge that's around him. So, right. Cause that's going to, you know, how he handles this is really going to dictate how other teams look at him, look at him. So, which is, however, very interestingly, it was, I was, like I said, I was watching the race on the flight on the way back from, from Monterey today. And pretty much everything that I had talked about with the guests that I was, I was working with at McLaren over the weekend. It was exactly what Hinchcliffe and Lee Diffie and T-Bell had to say. But one of the nuggets that I took out of the TV broadcast, which I hadn't heard before, was that Townsend Bell made the comment during the broadcast. He said one of the closest sources close to him said with this legal battle with Palo and Ganassi and McLaren, that if McLaren really wants Palo, Ganassi has put about a $10 million bounty yes. to buy out that contract. Yep. So... And and I've wondered, I've wondered, like Zach, where the fuck are you coming up with all this money? You've signed you signed Rossi for next year. You've sounds like you're favoring uh, Rosenquist at this point. You just signed Piastri to partner with Lando at Formula One and paid Danny Ricardo a twenty plus million dollar buyout of his last year of his contract. So you're going to consider the ten million buyout for Ganassi to get out of the contract, and then you still have to sign Pelo to another contract. Yeah, so it's like I, where in the hell are you guys getting all this cash? The only thing I think is that they must have. Well, I mean, we heard about the car company side getting a lot of bailout and donation, or however you want to say it. I, I'm wondering if that money also funneled into the race side. That's my only guess. Is that somebody with a whole lot of cash is backing McLaren up for whatever reason. Maybe they're a fan. Maybe they just like racing and want to see, you know, McLaren succeed. I don't know the reason or the purpose. I can't even speculate. But well, I did see just along those lines. I'm sorry to interrupt you, John. But no, you're I did good. see just today. I think it was on the LinkedIn post that uh, McLaren just inked Jack Daniels as an additional sponsor to their racing program. And I don't know wow. if that goes across the board between F1 and IndyCar, or if it's just F1 or if it's just IndyCar, but they're pretty good at uh, cross-promoting those brands across all those platforms and global their global motorsports initiatives. Yeah, and I don't know. I know I don't know offhand if Formula 1 has anything on alcohol is because I know you can't advertise cigarettes on there, but as or tobacco, but I don't know what the rules are on alcohol either. So I don't know how that would work. Johnny Walker um, sponsorship on the McLaren. Hello. Oh, that's right. You're right. I forgot about that. So there you go. I mean, uh, that's the only thing I think unless, unless it's some, you know, Middle Eastern sheik who's got billions of dollars to burn, which is also altogether possible is throwing, 
throw is throwing cash at McLaren, you know, and Hey, right. you know, cool, you know, whatever. That's, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. Certainly makes uh, for an interesting season for both formula one and for IndyCar. I mean, you know, it was, I think with Zach Brown, I think Zach, and I have no proof of this. I have no, I just, just maybe uh, how, how I think, I think with Zach Brown being that he does keep a close eye on both sides with IndyCar and formula one, that when you make a deal with him, it's, it's all or nothing. You know, it's, it's either, yeah, it's, you're going to, you know, some of this cash is going to go to the IndyCar and maybe the majority stake goes to the, the, the uh, McLaren F1. I don't know, but I just, I think that's probably how he works it. That would be my guess. Well, seventh gear over at fans, when you hear the remainder of this episode, you will hear a good bit of, in fact, you'll hear the entirety of my brief interview with Zach Brown himself. And he speaks to their global initiatives, which doesn't give you a definitive answer, but it kind of gives you a bit of an idea of which direction he's leaning. Because when I was fortunate enough to have that interview with him, it was close to the grid walk and close to you know everybody having to clear the grid to get ready for the start of the Laguna Seca IndyCar finale. But I encourage you all to listen to the entirety of the show because we've got about 20 minutes with Felix Rosenquist and about 10 with Zach Brown. And that gives you a little bit of an insight to each of their mindsets. So as we get ready to wrap that up, I mean, we know we're going to hear more about the contract resolution, whatever that is with Plo in the coming days and weeks. I think they expect that to be done by the end of the month, as well as what's going to happen to the future with Felix Rosenquist. But let's not let we would be remiss if we didn't take the time to congratulate Will Power on a well-deserved second championship. That dude, you know, I was lucky enough to have a, a part in an interview with him. Uh, I don't know, maybe a three, four weeks ago, but I am really, I've always been a willpower fan and I'm really impressed with the way he's kind of reined in his, his mental side of his racing game. And not to mention the fact that he broke Mario Andretti's all-time pole record this weekend as well, which is pretty stellar. That's pretty yeah. mega. And Mario was there. They were talking about it. I would, I would almost, if I was him, you know, you're talking about Mario Andretti for God's sakes. I would almost be like apologetic about it. Like, sorry. <laughs> right. I, I I don't I don't mean to step on your parade, and I'm not saying I'm nearly as good as you. But again, I apologize. <laughs> exactly. So lots lots to come, and we saw you know we saw a new rookie of the year there from uh, from the Ray Hall team. What is it, Lundquist? And then we saw a new Indy Lights champion be crowned. There's going to be a very very interesting 2023 season coming up. Yeah, and we spoke about this before. The whole depth of depth of talent with IndyCar, it's just going to get bigger. It's crazy. It's going to get crazy, nuts. crazy, crazy. Well, speaking of uh, other drivers and depth of talent, doesn't sound like Colton Hurt is going to get a super license. That's nope. kind of the vibe I'm getting. No. And you know, as part of my weekend there with the, the McLaren folks, there were a couple of people there from the, the McLaren uh, Technology Center in England. And man, they the Europeans are very staunch in their belief that he needs to go through and earn it the same way everybody else that has come through Europe has. And there's so many guys at F2 and F3 that if they granted the exemption to Herta, that these guys would get screwed. And they're... They, Really believe that Herder's got to earn it the, the the way that they've all done prior to him. Exactly what I said last week. I that's it. That was exactly what I said last week on the show. And I said, look, I believe fully 100. I have nothing against him if he has the points, but he absolutely needs to earn those points. Even going back to Formula One, Nick DeVries even said the same thing. He was on board with not giving it to him. He said, look, 
exactly what you were talking about. There's too many guys in F2, F3 trying to make the ranks, getting their points, earning their points through racing and not just, you know, giving a pass. And that's from a guy who just climbed into an F1 car on Friday and then ended up getting ninth. So I I respect him. I respect his talent. I respect his opinion. And it's not just because, you know, we're on the same page, but he's absolutely right. And I agree. I agree with the uh, with the European side of things that it's uh, something that has to be earned. You can't just walk into it. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. And it was Lungard, Christian Lungard, actually, that uh, took rookie of the year there with the Ray Hall guys outpointing Graham Ray Hall. So Graham... Figure it out. Quit making babies and doing your side shit and <laughs> step up your game. But and, so uh, it congrats what, to him. One last point I want to make, and then we could probably transition over into the interviews. Looks like really looking like Nico Hulkenberg is going to take Schumacher's spot in that Haas car next year. Yeah, Schumacher. Who who knows? I mean, there's there's going to be a little bit of musical chairs there. What happens with Gasly? And it all depends on this whole Herta situation. Yeah, I think Hulkenberg, I would love to see Hulkenberg, but then you've got some of these other F2 guys that, you know, are ripe for the picking that some of these guys are looking at. So it's going to be interesting because, you know, DeVries is in, in, in play for the Alpine seat, let alone the Williams seat, you know, after his debut. And it was so funny, as you and I were talking about earlier, it's like DeVries got done. If any, whoever has not watched that, that Formula One race from Monza, you got to go back and watch it and listen to the in-car radio from after the race where, <laughs> you know, the team was congratulating DeVries and he's like, I'm so done. My shoulders are gone. <laughs> Can you I get some help? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I mean, sir, for, for sure the Formula One season's got a little bit of a little bit of time left here, but the IndyCar season it, now being over, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of announcements and, and what the time frame is. I think the first thing we're going to look forward to hearing is what the resolution whatever that happens to be with this whole Pelot deal is yeah. going to be. And then I think the rest of the dominoes are going to fall from there, but absolutely a fantastic season all the way around on the IndyCar side. I can't wait for 2023 and can't wait to hear some of the new news and developments from, from any of those guys. So I, I will admit, even though I am a race fan, I only lightly paid attention to IndyCar. The season has pulled me in. So, yeah. that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hard to get the attention of sometimes. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for next year to see how everything works out. And I mean, yeah, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks and months here as we get through. I'm sure these guys are going to take a much deserved break, you know, including uh, Felix Rosenquist, which I have to say, uh, seventh year fans and for you too, John, uh, you know, knowing that he's Swedish, you know, like Marcus Erickson, you kind of expect those guys to be pretty standoffish and, and pretty short with their answers. But I got to say, Felix Rosenquist was a really cool dude to interview. So we've got about 20 minutes of that coming up here right after this segment on the show. So you can kind of hear that. Fortunately, my lovely wife was uh, able to record the entirety of that interview as well as that with uh, Zach Brown. So look forward to that. Be sure you listen to the whole thing. Felix, super cool dude. I wish the best for him. He finished fourth this last weekend, had a mega run. I hope he's back with McLaren, partnering with Alex, and not Alex, uh, partnering with Pato, as well as Alexander Rossi. That could be a real power team for 2023. And we'll have our predictions here as we get in the weeks down the road. But at any rate, there's lots to be gleaned from these next couple of segments with my interview with uh, Felix Rosenquist as well as Zach Brown. So any final thoughts, anything, anything else for the good of the whole there, my friend, John? Nope. Just we had uh, three weeks until the next Formula One race. So we'll try to figure out what we're going to do then. I'm sure we'll find something to talk about. We always do. Even if it's just us sitting here bullshitting about, did I just say shitting? Like, why did I say it that way? You did. I don't know why you said why. it that way either. It's uh, like, so weird. Oh, well. <laughs> I, you know what? You know what, kids? I'm tired. 
I've been working out for three this days is, straight. This and- is going to be the segment where we're going to put in the outtakes from when you were doing our our promos, you know, for yeah. the outtakes. And you were like, "What did I just have a stroke? I sound like yeah. I had a stroke." That'll be <laughs> the this will be the point where I put that. Uh, in. Apparently, I do. Apparently, I just have these <laughs> small mini strokes where suddenly half my mouth doesn't work. That's what she said. <laughs> Shitting. Ding. Anyway, but yeah, but uh, no, it was great. It was a great season for IndyCar, obviously. And of course, looking forward to the closeout and the remaining races of Formula One. Absolutely. All right, seventh gear over at fans. That's going to wrap it up for this segment of this week's show. Be sure that you listen through to the end to get the entirety of the Felix Rosenquist interview, as well as the Zach Brown interview from just this past weekend at the IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca. John, thank you so much, buddy. Can't can't wait to talk with you again next week. Appreciate you Absolutely. carving out a little bit of time tonight so we can get this all in. And for the benefit of all of our seventh gear over at listeners. <laughs> Aside from John nearly uh, having a stroke there towards the end of the segment, that was a pretty full-on review of both the Formula One Grand Prix from Monza as well as IndyCar's season finale, the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. Now, with all that said... Again, I had the great fortune of being able to be the MC in front of all of the invited guests of McLaren to interview the driver of the number seven Aero McLaren SP IndyCar, the one and only Felix Rosenquist, as well as the CEO of McLaren Racing, Mr. Zach Brown. So sound quality is not maybe what you're used to. Sorry, not sorry, but it's an awesome listen. So here we go. Well, all right, everybody. It is the man of the hour. Driver of the number seven McLaren racing car, starting in the eighth position today with a little bit of a uh, morning gift, I guess, huh? Welcome, Felix Rosenquist. Thank you. So, Felix, was that a bit of a surprise for you this morning, or did you know about your uh, little gift from last night already? Uh, yeah, we, we qualified ninth, and then uh, I think uh, Palu had an engine penalty, right. so we got one, one spot for free already, so we'll always take that. I mean, we still have eight more to, to go, but uh, we'll, we'll take anything we can get. But I think I found out already uh, last night. So. Gotcha. Well, yeah, absolutely. Every little bit helps, right? Now, does that change your strategy at all for today's race? What you're planning to do before that ha- ever happened? No, it's pretty similar. So we, uh, we're we starting on the black tire, the, the harder compound, basically. We're one of the few, I think there's only two cars in the top 12 right now on the, on the black tire. So, which makes it harder for the first lap, but then we basically have to run that tire long, and that makes our, the rest of the race easier on fuel and tires. So, so we're trying a little bit of a different strategy than the others, just to, you know, it's the last race of the year, we're not fighting for the championship, and we really want to, you know, win the race if we can. So, like, high risk, high reward kind of deal. Understood. Let me actually point to the other side of you so everybody can see you. Now, that was actually a good question because there's been a lot of talk this last week here at Laguna Seca about the grip level of the track, about the tire degradation, and even as much as possibly going to a four-stop uh, race strategy is, and you kind of alluded to part of this just now where you're kind of taking an alternate shot because you don't have a whole lot to lose. Championships already kind of decided it, it, you know, outside of what you've got to do. So where do you see the tire degradation and the pit stop strategy coming in? How, what, are you, what are you guys thinking at this point? So like always in IndyCar, man, it's, it's like 50% to the plan and 50% guess. It, it's just really hard to read. Uh, so Friday, we thought the degradation was really high. And this morning, I was actually pretty good. So uh, we're a little bit confused and we kind of had to take it as it comes. So according to our like simulation model, the, the four stopper is actually quicker over the race. But then obviously you have to pass basically 
a lot of cars in our last stint. So track position is still the most important thing. So we're pretty much committed to a three-stopper, but we can still, like if things go our way, we can still change that to a four-stopper, you know, halfway through the race. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think the first thing you just kind of try to survive, hang on and uh, see where, where your tires are at. And, and at that point, you kind of decide the rest of the race. Well, I would imagine, too, you've got a lot of guys that already know that the championship is kind of out of their control at this point. So some of these other guys are going to be kind of sending it, right? Because it's the last race and there's a long off season to fix cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think we're one of them. Like, we're... Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, if we finish, you know, fourth or fifth, like, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we, we just want to have a good last round. And uh, it's going to be interesting because there's a lot of guys, obviously, that tried to beat a specific driver to get a certain spot in the championship, uh, maybe the leaders. Um, but there's also you know teammates that tried to help out, and there's all sorts of you know things going on at the track, and we're just like hey, we're just going to be aggressive. And if you know some of those drivers are fighting for something, like you, you can be extra aggressive because they're probably going to give way. Uh, so that that's kind of the plan of the day. Well, that's actually a pretty solid strategy. And I want to kind of rewind a little bit because we started off with, with the news of the, of the day. And we'll kind of come back around to that. But you've had a pretty strong season so far this year, kind of stacking success on success. So where does that all come from? Where did, you know, from last year to this year, you've constantly been in the mix. You've constantly been in the fight, scoring points, being where you're at in the championship. And so what do you think that was throughout the course of the season that's contributed to this strong season that you had? I think it's just, you know, like always hard work. Um, like last year was obviously a really tough one for everyone who, who follows IndyCar. It was, a, it was a struggling year for me and, and for the seven car in general. And uh, I think everyone just brought, you know, their A game this year and, and really focused on, on the areas that we needed to improve. And, uh, you know, we still have a lot of things to improve. We want to be, you know, we're fighting for eighth in the championship right now. We want to be out fighting for, you know, top three. But, um, but yeah, we're definitely, we've been quick everywhere. And I think that's kind of the, the most important thing where we have the pace, we're always up there, you know, kind of in the contention for wins uh, every weekend. And, and, and we, we want to build on that and hopefully, you know, bring um, excel a little bit for, for next year. Well, and as a former race winner yourself, you know, at, at uh, Road America, you kind of got that taste now. And it's like, now it's like, I need, I need more of that. So I get that. So let me ask you this as a driver myself, every driver has their own style, so to speak. Like I'm sure yours and Pilots are a little bit different as is anybody else in, in the paddock. But can you, for the group here, kind of describe your driving style and maybe the tracks that it fits the best at? Uh, I, I say I'm, in general, I'm, I'm probably the best at the street tracks. Uh, and I don't know exactly why. I mean, they're, they're like tight, bumpy, twist. I, I guess the technical tracks favor me a little bit. Um, but at this level, man, like everyone is just so, like for sure some drivers have a little bit of a driving style that's like make them unique. Uh, but I think at this level, you just have to be so, you know, varied in what you do yeah like you need to adapt to conditions to different tracks different you know how the car behaves tires so end of the day like everyone kind of has the same style like the style that works the best for that day and, and, and it's really interesting in indycar in general like how tight everything is and it, it's like one tenth of a second sometimes it's like six or seven spots in qualifying so uh, i think you, you have more of a style like when you grow up and then you, you fine-tune everything a little bit every year and 
eventually everyone just looks the same. Right, and then it, it probably shows up somewhat in, in the data, a, a little bit, just you know, maybe the hand motion of turn-ins and various corners and things like that, but you're right, as you go through your career, you have to adapt to things like, you know, whether it's the short ovals, the big ovals, street courses, road courses, that sort of thing. So as you talked about, as your improvement as a team came through this season, what did you do personally in the off-season through your training regimen and things like that to just take yourself to that whole next level, like, to make that improvement that you had? Uh, I think it was actually, it was, Good question because last year I felt like I you know worked really hard on everything like I was spending a lot of time with my engineers I was you know no stone unturned kind of deal uh, with everything like physical training and uh, just you know car setup trying to understand uh, watch videos all those kind of things and actually going into this season I kind of stepped back a little bit and just you know kind of you know you, you work on the most important things and then the rest you you just make sure you feel good and you're not like clouded with things in your brain and uh, that, that seems to really work for me and that's something I work with my engineer as well like let's cut off all the stuff that I don't really need to know and we just focus on the you know three most important things um, yeah I, mean, I, I think in that sense every driver is different I think Pado is actually even more that direction like he just kind of shows up and you know, drive it. Just, just <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I've kind of gone that direction. It's actually worked really well. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. I think sometimes you know, hard work actually doesn't pay off in that sense, and it, it's more about leaving you know trusting your your colleagues to to kind of unload you in those areas and then focus on the actual driving yourself. Almost as though you're you got to a point where you're maybe overthinking it a little bit. Yeah, probably. Exactly. That makes sense. Because when you're overthinking, like you're not driving on instinct. You're thinking about every turn in, every braking, um, and it's like Ayrton Senna. I don't know if anyone watched that movie about him. And it's like when you're in the zone, you actually don't think. Like you're almost like you sleep in the car. Uh, yeah, and that's actually true. Yeah, I agree with you, and, and yes, I have seen that, so I, I can relate to that. So speaking of the guys like Senna and kind of taking that step back, as your career has progressed, uh, you know, whether it was F2, DTM, you know, Rookie of the Year, all that stuff, talk a little bit about some of the influences on your career, whether it be guys like Senna or business partners or a particular sponsor, but guys that have really influenced your, your mindset and your career to get you to this point. Uh, yeah, I, th I think I had, you know, the luxury of having a lot of, uh, experienced teammates. So I had, uh, for example, like Scott Dixon, uh, my first rookie year in IndyCar. Uh, you know, he's a six-time champion. So that was really cool to kind of see what he does in a weekend. To be able to just, you know, you can see any video data, just you know, what does he eat for breakfast and those kind of things. Like as a rookie, that's pretty interesting, and there's no better guy to learn from, right? Uh, and it's kind of the same in other series. I always, I always seem to have that guy that's been in the series for the longest as a teammate, and I think that's really valuable. Um, but then at the same time, like coming in and being teammate with Pato, I think he's just like a fresh, you know, breeze of air. He's, he's just like really aggressive, uh, super quick, uh, completely different mentality from, from the veterans. And I'm kind of in the middle, so trying, trying to, you know, learn, learn both from the young kids and from the, from the veterans. So yeah, it's really interesting how it progresses and you get older and you just kind of try to pick up everything. And I think in IndyCar, in general, it favors you to have experience. So, uh, yeah, just trying to get better every day. That's that's awesome. And to that, kind of along those same lines, you talked about picking up things and and so forth. And as we were kind of taking some of the group around over the last couple of days, you know, you see some of the spotters 
you know, outside of turn two. And a lot is a lot of people know a lot about spotters, especially on the big ovals like the 500 or even say Iowa and places like that. How does your spotters role change, if at all, on a road course like this, or even at Portland or Nashville or someplace like that where you're not on an oval? Yeah, good question. It, it's so on the oval, your spotter is with you in your ear pretty much the whole time. Like you, every you know two seconds, he'll say something. Like you know, the car behind you is this distance back from you. You know, when someone's on the outside, he will let you know he's there. He let you know when you're clear. He let you know the green flag on the restarts and starts. Uh, so you pretty much like he's your voice in your ear the whole race. Uh, on the road course though, it's very different. So normally you place the spotter because naturally, like you can't see the whole track on a road course. Right. So you place the spotter in a location where you think is the most beneficial. So here we'll have pit out. So every time we do a pit stop and we blend into the track, he'll let me know if there's another car coming and if I'm gonna have to like attack and be you know wheel to wheel with someone on pit exit. Uh, and some, some tracks you'll have a different location, maybe end of a long straight where you think it's a big op uh, opportunity to overtake. Uh, so you, you kind of weigh it every week and just see, like, play around with it what's best. So do you have just one spotter then at the road courses or do you have multiples like you would on a, on a, a big oval like Indy? Uh, only one, yeah. And sometimes we even have one for both cars. So me and Pato will have the same guy. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, with, with this being the final race of the season, you have a, a long off season, what, what is your plan, your personal plan to get ready for 2023, whatever that brings for you? Can uh, you take a little bit of a holiday first? I'm just ready to go again. I'm like, I want to put an end to this one and just start tomorrow again. Yeah, normally I feel pretty tired after the season, but I feel pretty energized. And I'm sure it's going to hit me tomorrow that the season is over. Normally you kind of, it's kind of a common thing between drivers that when the season ends, you just become like sick for two weeks and <laughs> completely collapse because you've just been on it for, for so long. But uh, man, I'm so motivated for next year. I'm, I don't know where I'll be next year and what, what I'll do, but uh, whatever it brings, I have a good feeling. I'm just ready to, ready to get going again. I, I'm, sh I'm sure you are because like any other driver, the longer you sit, the more you're jonesing to get back behind the wheel. It's hard to believe that the season's over. So are you going to take a little bit of a break? Are you going to kind of just stay in your training regimen and get ready to go for the following season or any opportunities between now and next season? I'll probably go home and see family in Sweden. Um, you know, naturally, because of the CC, I don't really get a lot, a lot of time to go back. So that'll be nice. Just enjoy seeing friends and family. And uh, yeah, then I don't know. Maybe I'll try to do a race somewhere. I think I'll get bored really quick and just try to drive something. I can totally see that happening. So. Speaking of, of racing, you'll have some time, obviously, to watch some other series. So are there other series that you're currently paying close attention to, aside from maybe Formula One, that maybe down the road in your career you want to, to get a, give a shot to? Um, the moment, not really. I, I follow the like um, the supercars in Australia a little bit. I think that looks like a cool cool series. That's uh, Scotty McLaughlin, who's yeah. driving in the car. He came from there two years ago. and. Uh, it's like kind of cool retirement uh, regime, <laughs> like living in Australia, driving cars over there. Right. I don't know. That, 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 that's pretty interesting. Uh, uh, no, otherwise, just in the car and one really. I could, for some reason, just maybe it's because of the Sweden you, I could totally see you being a total rally guy. Just. I tried one once and I, I ended up in a tree. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I think it was the second stage and I just, it started raining in the middle of the stage and 
I just lost it on breaking and backed into a tree. It's like, okay, that's it. So would you would you say that that's been the craziest moment of your career? Or do you have something is so even crazier moment than that in your racing background? Man, I think that was pretty crazy. I really respect those guys who love rallying because as a race car driver, you're like, I have to maximize everything everywhere, like every breaking point, apex, uh, and a rally is. If you try that style in rally, man, you're gonna end up in a tree very quickly. That's what, that's what I learned. So uh, I think I'll stick to racing on track. All right, so let's let's kind of bring it around here. If we've got a few minutes left over, maybe we can take a question or two. But in terms of the race today, starting on the blacks, you're thinking a four-stop strategy is going to be quicker over the length of the race, at least at the moment. You got to kind of go big or go home, sort of a deal. So, any any thoughts about you're going to have to adjust on the fly, maybe undercuts, overcuts to to try to win the race? I think that as we're starting on new blacks, we're probably going to run about 20 laps the first stint. And that's gonna make us not having to do that long of a run on reds. So some guys that stop early are gonna have to do like 28 laps on reds, and then you don't know if they're gonna last. But if they don't, then you're kind of forced into a two-stopper. Uh, so I think we're still committed to a three-stopper. Uh, we think that we have pretty good deck, so we can make you know both the la the the reds and the blacks last pretty good. But as I said, man, it, it, you always have a plan going into it, and. 10 laps in is like a completely different, so I, I, won't, I won't promise any, any strategy calls yet. Wasn't, wasn't there the old boxer, I think it was Mike Tyson, said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. All right. Um, speaking of cars and following Australian supercars, what do, you, what do you drive around in? What's your personal car? I drive a uh, Tahoe. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Slide nice. that one around, Aria. Yeah, nice and quiet and... Calm. I don't know, like, as you get older, I, I just enjoy, like, a cruiser on the road. I think that's my other car. Um, <laughs> I have a BMW M2 in my other, when I go back to Europe, that's pretty sporty. Um, and we get to drive McLarens as well whenever we need, so they're pretty cool. Of not, course not for grocery know. shopping. Of course. You know. <laughs> I should have known. All right. I think we've got just a couple minutes left. Does anybody have any questions for Felix? Yes, Bruce. What's, what's your favorite road, favorite road course? Uh, I think Mid Ohio. Mid Ohio is pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, really tight and twisted, but um, everyone just seems to love it for whatever reason. This one is pretty high up, but this track is very slippery, um, and they're gonna repave it in a month actually, and everyone's pretty excited about that. So I think that this one can be up there on, on P1 after that maybe, because they expect it to be maybe like three to four seconds quicker. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. I was thinking about that because I was aware of the repave and they're going to do a lot of work in I think they're supposed to be investing about $9 million in the improvements to the track. Repaving it, redoing the bridges, and some other work as well. I could easily see track record two getting broken next year. For sure. Awesome. Anybody else have a question for Felix? Yeah. Hey, what's your uh, physical fitness regimen look like uh, during the season and like, coming into the off season? What's that look like? And how much of an advantage do you think that gives you uh, guys next year? Yeah, so, uh, so IndyCar is probably the most physical uh, racing category in general, even compared to F1. Uh, mainly because we don't have power steering and we don't have a lot of airflow, so it's very hot in the cars and uh, the races are longer than F1 as well. We have some races that are almost three hours long. Uh, so it's a lot of en endurance, uh, mainly the work is done in the off-season. So kind of December to February, you work really hard, like every day pretty much. You kind of build up your base fitness and then you try to maintain it through the 
through the season because during the season you're really busy traveling so you can't really keep it up as well but uh, I'd say like two three days a week instead of six seven days a week during the season and then tomorrow I'll have two weeks off I think from the trip. <laughs> No, when you talk about the heat, it's certainly part of that was at, with the advent of the air on screen, right? And then the air tubes, and they're trying to improve the ventilation, that sort of thing. But that must also really contribute to the fatigue and the, the heat and everything and the weight loss. Because if I remember right, you can lose as many as five to eight pounds of just water weight during the course of a race because of how hot it can get. Correct. It's it's very hot. This is actually one of the best places we go to because the track doesn't have a lot of grip and it's fairly cool. In the air but when you go to like nashville when it's like hybrid bumpy super humid you know mid 90s it's uh man it's it's tough and then a lot of drivers have started using cool suits where you have like fluid pumping around in in your nomic shirt that i wear right now uh, the problem with that one is if it fails then it becomes even warmer you know? that's happened to some drivers then you're even more in a in a pickle but uh we we, uh, we said uh, we don't want to use it yet because we, we don't know if it's going to fail or not but yeah the, the heat is definitely like when you're driving you have sometimes like when you brake the sweat drops on your face actually go to the visor <laughs> and then you have to like rub it the visor with your with your glove inside and yeah it's, it's sweaty man but uh it's cool i think that's part of indycar it's a very raw and like very manual series like there's not a lot of help for the drivers and uh, there's definitely like a fitness side of it that that's that will make a difference in the race absolutely it's a very physical series and as you've seen in, since your time joining the series the depth of talent continues to get deeper and deeper and there's more and more individual drivers as well as teams that are in contention for either a win or a top finish more so than in years past so what do you what are your thoughts on the depth of talent in the indy car field these days yeah, as you said, it's just growing and growing. So I joined the series in 19, and... As he was named Rookie of the Year, by the way. Yes. <laughs> uh, and since then, man, it's, like, it was already tough then, but I said then, like, there was a solid top 14, and now, like, top 22 is, like, very, like, pretty much 22 drivers can be on the podium. Uh, and then you have some guys that are really competitive, like you always have in a series, you know, drive for, for one of the... Say less strong teams, but uh, but yeah, IndyCar is cool because almost all the teams are on pace, the same level, and uh, that with with the depth of drivers just makes it super hot. Like if you have if you have a bad qualifying lap, you're like you're, you're, you you will end up in the you know twenty like P twenty P eighteen P nineteen very easily. Just ask Joseph Newgarden after yesterday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's very common to see guys winning championships at some point in the year, starting like. Made almost in the back. Right. So as you look at the series and where it's gone, man, there's two years in a row where Nashville's been a, a huge success. Iowa was a great race. This is always a classic on the schedule. Are there places that you would like to see the series either return to or go to that they haven't been to so far? I think Road Atlanta would be a good one. Um, they're also talking about maybe extending the calendar into October or November. Um, I think there's some places you can go that time of the year that would be nice nicer and cooler than compared to like july nashville for example um i think also internationally there's you know indycar used to go to japan and uk germany um, there's definitely talk about that as well i think a favorite was uh surface paradise in, in australia indeed that would be really cool so yeah one race one race uh outside of the us i think would be 
cool to just like bring more international attention to the series. I, I agree, and hopefully we'll see the uh, the powers that be make that decision. But all right, Felix, I know you have got to get ready to hop in that race car and bring home a win for the Air McLaren team. So good luck today. Thank you for your time. And How cool was that? Getting to talk to Aero McLaren IndyCar driver Felix Rosenquist? Unbelievable and super cool dude. So happy that he finished fourth and had a great finish to the season. Now, before we get into the interview with Zach Brown, I just want to let you all know, 7th Gear Over Rev listeners, that we have some updates that have come about that you may or may not have heard about regarding Felix and the McLaren team as well as some IndyCar series news that just came about since John and I recorded this segment yesterday, Tuesday night, before my next trip here. So be sure you listen all the way to the end for those updates, because again, it pertains to McLaren, Felix Rosenquist, as well as the IndyCar series. So with that said, here is Mr. Zach Brown. All right, everybody. Now we have the man of the moment, the man on the move. He's got a lot going on, and I know he's got to get out of here, so we only have time for a little bit of a, a quick uh, interview here. But the man of the moment, CEO of McLaren Racing, Mr. Zach Brown. Yeah. I know you're a Cali boy at heart. You grew up in this area. You come here all the time, and you get to race some of your cool personal collection of historic race cars. What does this great racetrack, Laguna Seca, mean to you for this great weekend to finish uh, out the IndyCar Series? First time I came was 1989, uh, the year Emerson Fittipaldi uh, won the championship. Uh, it's coming uh, every year since. It's an unbelievable track. Uh, the view that you'll all get from here is about the best view in, in motor racing. Uh, I think the race today is going to be exciting. I think both our guys are capable of winning. We'll see how strategy plays out. Uh, we're, we're now, unfortunately, out of the championship, which means we're going to go for it and disregard for others. Power, I think, should win the championship. Started on, on pole, 20-point lead, so it'll be pretty hard to catch, which means New Garden, who's 24th, 25th, is going to be going for it. So I think it's going to be an exciting race. Fantastic. Now, I, I have to wonder, because you're such a busy guy, I'm sure you would have loved to have been in Monza, as well as here, and everywhere else that you need to be. Have you talked with Aaron on the technology side about finding out a way to clone you so there's a little bit of to go around? I was up early. It was an early start, 4.30. Um, it, was a, it was a good race. We had a good pace. Um, uh, Lando turned off, unfortunately, his launch control at the start and regulations. You're not allowed to talk to your driver on the reconnaissance lap, so we weren't able to tell him. He turned it off, so I got a note about 20 seconds before the start. He was going to have a terrible start. That's correct. Uh, but he recovered quickly. Uh, Daniel, we had a, a radiator failure at the end, so that was a bummer. So we picked up six points on Albine. I think we had uh, we left another five points on the table, so that was frustrating. But good, uh, we had good race pace, so six to go, so we'll see how we do. Awesome. Now, we talked briefly about strategy for today. There's been a lot of talk over the last few days about tire degradation, the track surface being a little bit slicker. We just talked with Felix a little bit ago. Give me an idea, give these folks an idea about what kind of the initial plan strategy-wise is for both Felix and Pato today. So, we would have had to nominate the tires that we're starting on at uh, 10 o'clock. We're going running around, so I don't know what we've decided, but I'm going to guess we're starting on, on reds. They, they fade quickly. They, they uh, dead quickly. Um, so you want to kind of run those when you're in traffic. So uh, the regulations are you have to run one set of reds, one set of blacks, and whatever else you want to do. The blacks will last longer, but ultimately don't have the, the one lap pace. Um, both cars have been good all, all weekend, so um, we'll have some yellows here. 
So strategy always becomes an indie car racing, a little bit of art and science because of all the stuff that's, sure. uh, that's thrown at you. But um, I think you might, if you have two cars running together and you have some, you know, we could do this, we could do that, you end up sometimes splitting the strategy. Sure. And, uh, but we'll see how it plays out. Gotcha. Now, Ezra, I know we're tight on time here, but I have one more question for you. In your role now as CEO of McLaren Racing, and you've got big responsibilities between the IndyCar program, you know, Formula One, Formula E, where do you see, what's the big picture for McLaren Racing a year from now, five years from now? What do you envision for McLaren Racing? Um, championships and race wins. That's, that's why we're here. The uh, reason we put together the racing portfolio that we have is, is really for our corporate partners and our and our fans, so you know, Formula One is the center of our universe. Uh, up until recently, it wasn't very popular in America, so that's one of the reasons why we got involved in IndyCar racing, was to have a bigger North American presence. Because most of our partners and most of our fans, North America's one of, if not the most important market, so that's why we entered IndyCar racing. Um, we're quite big into sustainability and gender equality, so that's why we took the decision to get into what's called Extreme E, which is now its second, our first year, second year of the championship where you race five different locations around the world where climate has impacted um, you know, Greenland, Saudi, Uruguay, I think we're in in the next, uh, the next couple of weeks, and you have both male and female uh, drivers, so we really liked the sustainability story that we could get behind it there. Uh, and gender equality, and that was met with uh, a lot of good uh, feedback. So we ended up doubling down and joining Formula E. So we bought Mercedes, the two-time World Championship team will be on the grid next year. So, and then we have eSports, which is for your younger generation. So what we've tried to do is create a portfolio of racing activities to allow our fans and our partners to dial in and dial, dial up and dial down whatever they're uh, business objectives are around our racing portfolio. And the last thing that will probably come is we'll go back to Lamar uh, with the sports car program with a more close alignment with our road car uh, business. And then, uh, and then I think we're done with the racing series. So consider that an exclusive right here. Uh, I've got the news right from Zach. So the last thing for you, and for those of you that don't know, Zach is so adapted and adopted the, the McLaren culture. And I got to say, this is one of my favorite things about you, aside from all your cool historic cars that you race. But if you haven't seen it, this dude has Bruce McLaren's original camper motorhome in the paddock, the, the Condor. You want to talk just briefly yeah, about that? Yeah, that was cool. Super cool. We uh, got that on bringatrailer.com, and uh, it uh, was in the States. It's an unbelievable uh, condition. It's all, all original. And that was 1972 uh, motorhome that did Can-Am, Formula One, uh, Indy 500, all the, all the U.S. racing. So everyone's got their flash. Two million dollar motorhomes there, and I've got my uh, my Ford Condor. That's cool. Absolutely love it. Thank you for sharing that story. I know you got to go. We've got a grid tour to do. So best of luck in the race today for both Pato and Felix. We hope you even wind up winning this thing and send it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining. So, after all of that. After listening to the Felix Rosenquist interview and the Zach Brown interview, if you guys aren't McLaren racing fans, you need to be right now. I'm telling you, these guys are on it. 
And for 2023, it's going to be an amazing team. So we'll get to those updates in just a second. But truth be told, I have to tell you, I've been a McLaren fan for years. Back before the Mika Hakkinen days, before the Lewis Hamilton days, my heyday, my wheelhouse was the Senna Prost years with Ron Dennis. But even before that, I was aware of Bruce McLaren and everything that he was doing back from the late 60s and the Can-Am stuff, Grand Prix, Denny Hume, all of that stuff. So I've been a huge McLaren fan for years. And again, if you're not, you need to be. Start pulling for these guys straight away in 2023. The IndyCar season is going to look awesome for those guys. Craig Hempstead, one of their main engineers, will likely move over to their new signing, Alexander Rossi, who has just finished up his contract with Andretti, with one of their younger up-and-coming engineers kind of stepping up to take a, take on a bigger role. But boy, oh boy, folks, again, so glad that I got the opportunity to talk with both Felix and Zach. Great guys, very on it. They're just, they're just great people. So now for the news, the breaking news that I spoke of or alluded to earlier in the show that pertained to McLaren as well as the IndyCar series. Number one, and this has broken just since, again, since John and I recorded this segment earlier yesterday. Number one, Felix Rosenquist, our man that you just listened to, has re-signed with Arrow McLaren SP for the 2023 season. So there will be a three-car team, a three-car juggernaut, let's call it. I'm making the I'm making the prediction early. Three-car juggernaut at McLaren next year with Alexander Rossi, Pato Award, and Felix Rosenquist. The second part of that that came within the same, I don't know, several few hours was that Alex Pillow, who was kind of the, the big talk of the IndyCar paddock for much of the summer with him not supposedly re-signing with Ganassi and going to McLaren. He has gone through mediation and he and Ganassi Racing have come to an agreement to bring Alex Pillow back in the fold with Chip Ganassi Racing for the 2023 season. So that has resolved the, the main driver puzzle pieces there, so to speak. The other piece that also pertains to McLaren, and this broke this morning, is that McLaren has signed a multi-year deal with the Jack Daniels Distillery, reportedly worth in the billions of dollars over the entirety of the agreement. So great news for McLaren. And it may be predominantly on the Formula One side, but it, again, great news for McLaren. It's going to continue to help them move further and further up the grid, regardless of whether it's IndyCar or Formula One. And the last piece of news that I alluded to was about the IndyCar series in particular. This also just broke today, is that there had been much speculation in recent weeks about the possibility of Texas Motor Speedway not being back on the IndyCar schedule for 2023 due to small crowds, lack of promotion, blah, 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 right? Well, apparently the IndyCar series and Texas Motor Speedway have come to a new agreement. And it's a multi-year agreement that will bring the IndyCar series back to Texas Motor Speedway again in 2023. So look forward to that oval on the schedule, likely early in the spring, probably in April. Hmm. All right. That was a lot. A lot in this episode. We packed it in. That's what we do. We bring it. Like I said to both both Zach and, and Felix, it's like we send it every freaking week. All right. So with that said, folks, again, thank you all to our listeners. Thank you to my co-host, John McGrath. Also, special thanks to my incredible, lovely wife who took the time to actually record the entirety of both the Felix Rosenquist and Zach Brown interviews so that we could share it with you, 7th Gear Over of listeners this week. Give her some kudos, some shout out, right? Also, big thanks to our show partner and presenting sponsor, GrindBoss.com, for those incredible skin-safe, heavy-duty hand wipes that will literally remove anything. I swear by these things. I would not let you down. I'm your guy. Trust me on that. Now, 
Lastly, my last request, my last plea for you guys, make sure that you are liking our show, rating the show, sharing us with your friends and family, rate it, review it, all those good things, and subscribe, smash, smash the damn subscribe button, would you please? Let's keep this train rolling. We are closing in on four thousand downloads in just 20 episodes in our third season here of the seventh year overdrive show thanks to all of you great listeners and lastly make sure too that you hit us up on all of our social media platforms you can find us on Instagram, IG, at 7th Gear Overrev. You can also find us on Twitter, which is at gear underscore 7th. Facebook page, Facebook group page. You can also email me with questions, rants, likes, reviews, criticisms. You name it, we'll listen to it. May not respond to your criticisms, but that's my prerogative, right? Anyway, you can email me at kevin at 7thgearshow.com. Once again, it's kevin at 7thgearshow.com. Make sure you use the number 7 and not the spelling of the word 7. i got to catch my breath. This was a, a big show. Big, big show. At any rate, folks, as we finish up this week and throw the checkered flag, big thanks to all of you one last time. Be well, and we'll see you next time. See ya. You've been listening to 7th Gear Overrev, the greatest spectacle in podcasting. 